Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, the remake of After the Wedding gets a gender switch. Hi, good, you made it. Isabel runs an orphanage in India that I'm thinking of finding. Oh. Yeah. What are you doing here? The Dead Don't Die director Jim Jarmusch rounds up the usual suspects, like Tilda Swinton and Bill Murray. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. I can see that. And The Good Liar boasts a cast that's been around the block a bit. Seems like you've had quite a past. (laughs) Enough to last several lifetimes. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. There are all sorts of reasons we go to particular movies, I suppose, but by far the most potent one is who's in them. We may claim it's because we admire the filmmaker or the original book was a classic or that erudite chap on the radio told us we ought to like it, but mostly we go because of the stars. Not just the stars, of course. Often we see a familiar character actor pop up in the trailer or a reputable sir or dame and we think if they're in it, it might be worth a look. But not always. We're ruined. We're all ruined. You can't release this picture. We've got to. We're booked open in six weeks all over the country. But you, you're such big stars, we might get by. Never want to see that Lockwood and Lamont again. Wasn't it awful? This is the worst picture ever made. I liked it. Studying a movie with stars is by no means an exact science. Someone you used to like only works occasionally. Someone you like but can't remember the name of obviously requires careful trailer placement. And the worst thing is the right person in the wrong project. John Bing Animal could not have talked to you. He's a lunatic. Hello. Lucky's in the bathroom right now. Dog, is she's in the bathroom? Eddie Murphy did himself no favours with fans of the beloved English children's books about Dr. Doolittle with spectacularly wrong casting. They were semi-hits, but they still mark the start of his career decline. Will the same thing happen when the hitherto popular Robert Downey Jr. tackles the same character? Are you Dr. Doolittle? We have no choice but to embark on this perilous journey. Everyone pack your bags! (laughs) However, we like good actors and are generally prepared to forgive them for the occasional misstep. Good acting is not only a matter of taste, but also one of degree. The flashy movie stars, like Downey and Murphy, for example, lead noisily from the front. But there are more subtle examples, like the modest Michelle Williams. She breaks hearts. She will break yours. Why wouldn't I, the little girl lost act if I were you? I think Balin knows exactly what she's doing. 
all people ever see is Marilyn Monroe. What must it be like to be the most famous woman on earth? Michelle is often an appealing actor, sensitive and versatile when she's allowed to be, in films as diverse as My Week with Marilyn and Brokeback Mountain. Her four Oscar nominations so far were also the four times she was given roles worthy of her talents. Michelle Williams is nominally the lead in After the Wedding, though she's upstaged by the far showier Julianne Moore. Why are you feeling nervous? Are you nervous? Are you nervous? Are you nervous? Right, one are you second, I think I'm getting a call. Wait, hey, no. how's it going? No, 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 she can't talk right now. She's feeling a little bit nervous. Stop, it's me. No, 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 no. Who's Do nervous not. now? There are the colourful but eccentric actors, favourites of independent directors like Jim Jarmusch. The films Jim makes with Steve Buscemi, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton and Iggy Pop range from thoughtful art films to jokey home movies like The Dead Don't Die. She's alive? Holy shit. Look out, kids. I got this, Cliff. But while good actors can enhance a movie, they can't salvage a faulty script. And actors aren't always the best judges of their own work. Two of the best film actors in the business, Dame Helen Mirren and Sir Ian McKellen, chose to star in The Good Liar. Is that your grandson? It's too soon to be getting so close to him. I've grown very fond of you. Do you know who you are? You're the only person on this planet who makes me feel that I'm not alone. But I suspect they picked it for non-movie reasons. They'd never worked together before. It seemed to offer plenty of chances to show off. I'm sure they had a great time, but did it translate to the screen? Certainly the remake of a 2006 Danish hit, After the Wedding, boasts a more than decent cast. Come to the wedding, we can get to know each other better. I pronounce you husband and wife. Congratulations. Julianne Moore seems to have taken it on herself to popularise foreign language film festival favourites, the formerly Chilean Gloria Bell earlier in the year and now the Scandinavian award winner After the Wedding, originally written and directed by the great Suzanne Beer. Dad, I don't know a girl who is closer to her father than I am with you. And I, I am so grateful for that. Most of the time. <laughs> Suzanne now seems to have seceded to television. She recently directed the series The Night Manager, and the remake of After the Wedding has gone to writer-director Bart Freundlich. Bart Freundlich is another mostly TV talent, but more important, he's also Julianne Moore's husband, and this film is very much the actress's showcase. You are the most caring, loving best example of a woman I could have ever asked for in a mother. Thank you. The most obvious change from the first after the wedding is gender. Originally the self-effacing do-gooder at an Indian orphanage was male, Mads Mikkelsen no less. Now it's Isabel, played by Michelle Williams. With your imagination you can create anything Isabel is delighted to hear the orphanage has a new guardian angel, a wealthy New York philanthropist willing to donate millions to support the children. But there's one stipulation. 
Where's the food, the beds? We were promised school supplies. They want you to go meet with them in New York. They want you to give us millions of dollars. I'm not coming back without a suitcase full of money. Isabel has to meet the wealthy benefactor in person. And once again, there's a gender switch. Teresa is played by Julianne Moore. Isabel is already highly reluctant to go back to the States, and she discovers Teresa has her own distraction, her daughter's upcoming wedding. You must be Isabel. Yes. I'm Teresa. So nice to meet you. So we have a list of priorities. I have the caterers on the line. I'm really sorry about that. You just caught me at at a very busy time. My daughter's getting married this weekend. Out of the blue, Teresa invites Isabel to the wedding, which seems a bit odd. And once there, Isabel gets a shock. Two shocks, in fact. Oscar, Teresa's husband and father of the bride, looks very familiar indeed. Hi, good, you made it. Isabel runs an orphanage in India that I'm thinking of funding. Oh. Yeah. What are you doing here? Since After the Wedding, like its Danish predecessor, relies heavily on upending audience expectations, I'll attempt to keep the spoilers to a minimum. But every time you think you know where it's going, After the Wedding tends to take a left turn. I didn't know. Hi. Isabel, right? I told you that I would call you. But you didn't. The big question is whether turning the two formerly male characters, the naive do-gooder and the rich, occasionally ruthless business tycoon, into women helps or hinders the story. Well, the answer in many ways is neither. This is strange to see Oscar again. He's a good-looking man now, but back then, it must have really been something... Certainly, I never felt these characters were being forced to fit, which has occasionally been the case in other recent adaptations. And After the Wedding benefits enormously from three strong, empathetic leads. The husband, squeezed between the two strong women, is played by the always supportive Billy Crudup. I'm about to donate a small fortune to the orphanage Isabel runs in India. I don't trust your wife. She's going to give you money for your charity and you're going to question her integrity, huh? 20 million. What does she want? But the story of a power struggle between two men has a totally different dynamic when the rivals are women. Not better or worse, just different. And the effect of seemingly minor changes to an existing story starts to show as after the wedding progresses. You know that you're not the only one affected by this, right? We don't get to choose. You tell her I I want to know everything. Making the two leads strong women was as much a political decision as an artistic one. And despite the undoubted skills of Michelle Williams and Julianne Moore, suddenly new questions are raised by the changes. And the once cunning plot springs a few, hang on a minute, holes. This is our daughter, Grace. This is Isabel. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a beautiful dress. Grace, let's uh, go double-check that playlist before it starts, okay? Yeah, sure. Hey! I'm glad you could make it. Thank you for having me. I like the performances rather more than the amended storyline, and I have to say I was far more Team Michelle, revealing the bare minimum, than Team Julianne, letting it all hang out. But good performances can only do so much. In After the Wedding, they're not quite enough. What did you do?
There's no filmmaker quite as baby boomer hippie as underground art film favourite Jim Jarmusch. His early films were no-star, black-and-white, deadpan comedy dramas like Stranger Than Paradise and Mystery Train, often built around old rock standards. Chardonnay. Did she just say Chardonnay? Yeah, she did. Later, he'd populate his more ambitious films with boomer favourites, Neil Young, Bill Murray, Iggy Pop and Tom Waits. Many of these films are unarguably good. Broken Flowers, Patterson and his vampire meditation, Only Lovers Left Alive. So what about Jim's zombie movie, The Dead Don't Die? They're not zombies. They're just dead people. Well, yeah, for now, they're still just dead hipsters, but they haven't turned yet. It can take a while. Well, clearly this year's Cannes Film Festival was enthusiastic. The Dead Don't Die was chosen to open it this year. But in the cold light of day, you can't help thinking the enticing all-star cast is hardly being stretched here. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. I can see that. The action opens in fictitious Centerville, which for Frank Zappa fans like Jarmusch always comes with the tagline, a real nice place to raise your kids up. Two cops, Bill Murray and Adam Driver, are telling the local hermit to behave. It's Tom Waits, who also doubles as the film's narrator. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying... Is coming. The main source of concern is the sun, which is refusing to set at the correct time. The TV pundits speculate. Could it have something to do with polar fracking, pushing the Earth off its axis? When night finally falls, it brings with it unexpected activity. Excuse me, we're closed. Get away from me! <laughs> what the hell was it? A wild animal? Well, it's unexpected if you'd forgotten the title or missed the Dead Don't Die poster on the way in. You're also assisted by the regular appearance of the theme song, which fires up every time anyone turns on the radio, sung by country star Sturgill Simpson. Incidentally, this being a Jim Jarmusch movie, the song is often referred to as the theme song. Oh, that's a really good CD, Sturgill Simpson, The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, I know, I love this song. Is it nice? What? The motel. Oh, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of cool. It's one of those old-school ones. Anywho, after the attack of the first zombies, the local police investigate. Bill and Adam, now augmented by another indie favourite, Chloe Savigny. Adam plucks a hunch out of the air. Could this be the work of The Walking Dead? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. Well, this theory gains traction, but again, typically in a Jim Jarmusch film, absolutely no sense of urgency. He is the master of the anti-climax. Instead, we see the various citizens of Centerville getting on with their lives, despite what is, after all, a zombie apocalypse. you got to kill the head. Kill the head. Decapitate. It's the only way to go. Jesus. You gotta get prepared. Oh, that's bad. 
Mind you, the citizens are already pretty peculiar. Steve Buscemi is a Donald Trump fan. Tilda Swinton is a Scottish mortician. And teen moppet Selena Gomez is a visiting hipster from Cleveland. You look gorgeous. Oh, my. Are you in this together? Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke, it's really, really creepy. Only Jim Jarmusch would use 60s cult band Love for his trailer, though I can't imagine anything more suitable. The Dead Don't Die drifts rather than aims purposefully. It's chock full of movie references, ecological warnings and running gags, like the fact that the zombies all come bearing popular culture baggage. Oh, man, this isn't going to end well. They gravitate towards things they did when they were alive. The cast list of The Dead Don't Die is as diverse and randomly appealing as a Christmas album of duets. Big names rub shoulders with hip and trendy, or people who are just old friends of Jim. It's hard to know whether there was any serious intent involved. The political barbs seem as spur of the moment as the It's All Just a Movie references. Welcome to my world, zombies. I've been telling you this is all going to end badly. Well, that's unfortunate. Bill Murray in particular is the king of taking it all only as seriously as you need to. The same performance he delivered, in fact, in a previous zombie, not-quite-spoof, Zombieland. You read the script. The whole script? All of it? Yeah, Jim gave me the whole script. I'm not sure how the Cannes Film Festival people reacted when they finally unwrapped their big 2019 opener. I'm guessing they were mildly disappointed by The Dead Don't Die, though it shouldn't have been much of a surprise. Its balance sheet, 50% hilarious, 50% boring, is classic Jim Jarmusch. Excuse me. Those are some pretty good cuts. You played some minor league ball, didn't you? Well, um, a little class A. It was a long time ago. There are certain actors whose pulling power is so strong we tend to forget they're actors at all. We start to believe the likes of Meryl Streep, Judi Dench and Maggie Smith all wrote their own lines, directed themselves, possibly designed their own clothes. But like every other jobbing player, they're entirely dependent on what they're given. In the case of Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen, they were given the good liar. So tell me, have you done this a lot? Met people on the computer service. The Good Liar was originally a best-selling page-turner, the sort of book you pick up at the airport at the start of a long trip. It opens with Brian arranging a date online with Estelle. Place, London, time, about ten years ago, for reasons that will become clear later. Don't you find it's always the same? You mean the anticipation, followed by the letdown? Like all airport books, the phrase it will all become clear later is used early and often, but I digress. Brian and Estelle hit it off so well that Brian decides to come clean, as does Estelle. It turns out that's not who they are at all. But I tell myself, brace up. This time it will be different, which is why I must now confess to you 
a deception on my part. My name is in fact not Brian, it's Roy. Now that we all know they're Roy and Betty, possibly, the pair get on swimmingly. But we soon discover there's more to Roy than he's letting on. Between dates with Betty, he's plying his actual trade as a wily conman, aided by partner in crime Vince, a change of pace for Downton's Jim Carter. Is that why you think you do it? For the money? It's the game. It's the adrenaline rush. What if it is? The pair have had their eye on Betty for some time and soon discover she's got a more than respectable nest egg to pilfer. But before they can spring the trap, they have to box clever. Softly, softly, as they say, especially since Betty has a rather suspicious grandson. Seems like you've had quite a past. Enough to last several lifetimes. There are wheels within wheels, twists, and it goes without saying turns before we get to the end. So many, in fact, that at times we wonder whether we'll ever get to the end. Well, that's the trouble with twists and turns. They're a great way to stay awake on a plane, but they tend to irritate when they mount up in a film. To the future. How much do you think she's worth? Nearly three million pounds. You're going to take the lot? You bloody bet I'm going to take it all. But that's not to detract from watching two masters of the craft of movie acting. It's all in the close-ups, whether it's Sarian doing his trademark one expression while they're looking, a totally different one when they look away, or Dame Helen's no less welcome, is she a lovely granny or is she tough as nails? You know, it's very peculiar doing things you'd never imagined. Secrets between you, God, the devil... Both stars work professionally, together or apart, in their first time together on the screen. But as always in this sort of overplotted thriller, there comes a time when you wonder if all this skill, experience and finesse is being a little wasted. I know things about you, who you really are. You don't want to do this, Roy. It's clear Mirren and McKellen are having a lovely time, even as the good liar shifts from lovable senior romance to conman romp to urban thriller to, believe it or not, dark and devious war story. Hence the period shifting at the start. Even McKellen isn't that old. You're becoming a very good liar. The first half of the film is by far the best, watching two wonderful actors and what are actors but the good liars of the title, playing with their scripts and each other like two top tennis players still at the height of their powers. In just a blink, your life's changed forever. But as the plot becomes less and less plausible, we find our own anticipation dwindled to the inevitable letdown. And knowing we were warned at the start is somehow no consolation, I'm afraid. Well, as we lead up to the final show of the year, where we try and make some sense of 2019's films, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. 
I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.